Welcome to the Parent Matters Podcast, where we help you navigate the ever-changing landscape of parenting and equip you with tools to confidently parent your children. I'm Susan Stutzman, and today we're going to talk about regulation, emotional regulation. And to help me do that is my friend and colleague, Tracy Turner Bumberry. She's a therapist and the founder of Seva Counseling in Georgia. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I just realized I didn't ask you how you say that. Is Seva correct? You did it exactly right. It's Seva. Okay. Sometimes I sometimes I feel like I'm going to be at, I don't know if, you, you know, this is this is kind of a side note, but um, some of my listeners may get this reference, but it's like when Dunder Mifflin was bought by Saber and <laughs> Sabre. Oh, and I'm always like, uh-oh, uh-oh. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, so, okay. So Saber Counseling in Georgia. I'm so glad, Tracy, that you're here joining me today to talk about um, what we've titled Five Practical Ways to Help a Child Regulate. I know you know a lot about this topic. In fact, you've written a book on regulation, and uh, it's really a cool title, 2468. This is how we regulate. And um, so we're going to talk all about this. But first, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you, what got you into counseling, and what we should know about you to understand what you're going to share with us today? Sure. So I've been a private practice counselor Oh, I guess about 18 years now. And before that, I was a school counselor, an elementary school counselor for 10 years. But what really got me into counseling was before that, I was a secondary education teacher with a focus on mathematics. And I was working in what we would call an alternative school. Back in the time, it was called an at-risk school, but it's alternative school. And I was very excited to, to teach mathematical concepts because math was not my strong suit when I was in school. So I loved the idea of teaching many different ways. But what I quickly noticed mm. as a young, brand new teacher was that the students that were coming in to school had so many basic needs that weren't being met. Uh, and mm. there were so much going on in their environment and they had grief and trauma and loss. And I just started to feel a light as if, oh, maybe teaching's not your thing, but you just graduated. <laughs> so I did, you know, <laughs> I, I, I figured out pretty early on that my purpose was definitely counseling to work on some of those needs so then academics could flourish. Mm. And so pretty quickly after that, went back to school and, and did okay. what we all need to do to become licensed professional counselors. So that's a little yeah. bit of background to what sparked that idea. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I know you've written a book and it's based on so much of your real world experience and um you know regulation is a tricky um word and so i would love for you to 
as we jump into this topic on ways to help a child to regulate, to just name, what is regulation? Sure, we hear it. We, we hear that word and, and quite often we just assume we know what it is, right? Same with mindfulness. Mindfulness is a, a, a word we hear often as well. And then we wonder, what is it? You know, what, what is this? What are these words? Yeah. Like, how do, how do we act? Full. <laughs> exactly. It's like, my mind is full. I need mindfulness. Now what? <laughs> but emotion regulation is actually yes. a studied research term. And I thought what could be helpful is to first give you one definition because many different researchers have researched <laughs> emotion regulation. And then I would <laughs> love to give some real world examples to help it make a little bit more sense. I really feel yeah. like if we give a real world example, more parents will understand, oh, okay, I know what this is. Yeah, so sometimes okay. we hear words and we don't always know. A hundred percent. So and go ahead, other, tell us. The other thing I really wanna make sure, you know, you, you sparked something that I wanna make sure I say, Another thing about emotion regulation, before I explain it, many of parents that are out there right now who may be listening to this may naturally have very strong emotion regulation skills that they probably didn't have to learn. I mean, we all have such different personalities and such different temperaments. So if you have naturally strong emotion regulation ability, it's hard to understand why is my kid acting this way? What's going on? Why oh, can't he yes. just be quiet? Yeah. <laughs> Why can't he just be quiet? Why can't yeah. he just accept what the teacher's saying? Why can't he mm. just do his homework? You know, so I like to explain this to parents and teach it a little bit because if you have naturally solid, strong emotion regulation skills, it may be very difficult to understand how your child needs to learn them and and be taught yeah. and verbalized what they are. So that's a really important point I want to make before I hit on the definition. I, I love that. I'm so glad that you said that because so often that is something that is is tricky for parents is, hey, I, I know this innately or I don't remember how I learned this. And this isn't something that I need work on. Why can't my child do this? Or why won't they, right? So sometimes it's like they're refusing to, uh, or we have this feeling that they're refusing to. And so it's important for uh, us to understand. And, and I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. Sure. So <laughs> my own self too. <laughs> emotion regulation. I use the definition by Dr. James Gross, and he is a researcher and a psychologist for Stanford University. And he has spent, I would say, his entire professional life studying and researching emotion regulation. And if you are mm. someone who likes to learn, like really dig into a concept, all you would have to do is search his name and you would find a plethora of information. But his definition that I would love to give and then break it down to understanding parts is emotion regulation is a process and they're processes by which we influence which emotions we have, when we have them, and how 
we experience and express them. So emotion Whoa, regulation. That's a lot. <laughs> it is. Emotion regulation <laughs> is the process. It's all going on up here most of the time without us even realizing it. But the process of which emotion mm. am I going to have? When am I going to have it? And how I'm going to experience and express them. So mm. using that definition and let's get to a real world example. Okay. Let's think about a time okay. when any of us had a job, a job with a boss, because believe me, being a parent is two full-time jobs. <laughs> I want you to, if you are doing that two full-time job as a parent, I want you to think about a time where you had a job. When I was 16, my first job was McDonald's. So I could use that as an example. If you are a parent who has not had the experience of a working job, think about school and your boss. When I use the word boss, you may think about your teacher. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I want you to think about that. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Got okay. it. So I've got mine. I'm thinking about my uh, McDonald's boss from back in the day. Okay. And I'm thinking um, about my Starbucks boss. <laughs> okay. So, and everyone out there, think about one of your bosses. And if you don't have that reference point, then, then think about a teacher. Okay. Or if you don't have that reference point, a parent, but someone who has authority over you. Okay. Now imagine that this person of authority, your boss, your teacher just said something that is highly triggering to you. Okay. So mm. my example may be, I just worked an eight hour shift and I worked so hard and I'm so tired. And then my boss comes up to me and says, you need to work two more hours because you didn't work hard enough at all. And I'm like, can you, Susan, can you think of a statement that could be made by a boss that would be really like, <laughs> yes, I totally, I totally can. It's like, you know, like at the end of, you know, at, like you said, like at the end of a shift or, or something, um, being, you know, being told like something similar. I, but I like what kind of jogged my mind was like, I remember like we had at Starbucks, we did everything and we had to clean as well. And I remember we worked so hard on grout scrubbing the floors. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget my boss, my district manager coming in and being like, they're still dirty after we had spent like so many hours. And he was like, get me some hot water. And he like, got down and like you know like that scene in in Forrest Gump like the toothbrush and like was like this is what clean is and I was like um okay <laughs> like, I was like I've had enough but I mean I mean that's you know it's like it, I mean I wanted to say something really bad an expletive and just being like well if you want to do that like go ahead but like yeah it was it was so triggering and I was so mad yes. so and I couldn't take it out on him you just said something really exciting. You said, I wanted to. So in that statement, I make the assumption you didn't, 
which allows me to make the assumption that you have strong emotion regulation skills, okay? Because we're gonna now take that, that definition and we're gonna think about that. We were just very triggered by our boss and we are experiencing feelings that are very dysregulating. What is an mm. example of us influencing which emotion in that moment we're going to have? For me, and my brain might be doing this without even thinking it, I want to be furious, but I know that's not an appropriate emotion. So which emotion may I show instead? Apathy, acceptance, maybe mild irritation if my boss is okay with that. But we are showing emotions when someone is upsetting us. But if we have strong emotion regulation skills, we're choosing which emotion is healthier for us, um, will get us what we want, uh, you know, will keep yeah, us. Yeah, like I want to keep my job. <laughs> yes, that is 100% like right. Okay, I wanted to say something, but I don't want to jump ahead. So yes, that is a clear example of when you have strong emotion regulation skills, you are able to decide which emotion you're going to show, okay? Mm. Keep in mind, a lot okay. of us do this naturally. This isn't something we've had to learn. We've either watched someone else do it or our parents have talked to us, you know, but for most of us, it's like, oh, wow, I do do that. I didn't even think about it, you know? So that's the first one. The second one is when we have them. Now, I don't know about you all, but I am very good at holding some emotions in because they're not proper in the moment and then going home mm. and whoo, whoo, whoo wailing to a trusted yes. person, you know, just like you wouldn't believe the day I had. Can you believe what they said to me? So I'm going to have that furious emotion, but I'm determining when I'm going to have it. So I can say to myself, oh, that blow up's coming, <laughs> but it's not appropriate for me to have it now. I need to wait until... Does that make sense? Sure. So it's almost like, yeah, it does. And I don't know if I'm jumping ahead um, in this, but I, but I also know that sometimes, the, um, sometimes I feel like I got over something and then I get home and I'm triggered by a very minute something and it has nothing. I mean, like normally I can hold it, you know, like it's, it's just kind of like, oh, Susan, you forgot the salt in this, you know, and it's like, I'm not good enough. Like, and, and it comes out and it was something from that. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Or is that, that a different That's exactly, that's thing? exactly. So your emotional need wasn't met in that moment. So you were triggered. Mm. Someone said something that was, that was very dysregulating to you. And you knew, you knew which emotion to have. But you may not have gone to the point in your brain of, hey, I can have this emotion later. So you, that part wasn't addressed. So it's going to be addressed <laughs> when you didn't put enough salt in. So it is, you know, it is coming out. So almost like on a different yeah. level, it's like it knew at that point it was safe for that to come out. It does bring up a really important mm. point about emotion regulation that I uh, 
when I was taught this, it was a life-changing moment for me. And I want to make sure when I'm finished with these definitions, I bring this up because it's probably the number one mistake we make when we're focusing on emotion regulation. Okay. okay. All right. So first, okay, so I'm, I'm remembering, I'm remembering mm -hmm. for you that you're going to bring up the life-changing event. Life-changing. <laughs> Okay. I'm so dramatic, but this is a topic I get very Stay excited tuned. Don't about. leave. Awesome. I, I'm loving it. It's so yes. helpful. It's so helpful to break yes. it down in pieces because I think sometimes there's so much shame around not being able to control yourself or not being able to regulate or stay in balance always, right? Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of questions for parents about like, my kid never shows these behaviors at school. Why do I get them, right? And so mm -hmm. I think you're answering so many really helpful questions. So thank you, keep going. Sure. So then the third part is how we experience and express them, okay? So mm. I could be feeling rage in a moment, but I know it's my boss and I know if I express rage, it's not gonna ultimately get me what I want. I, you know, I wanna keep this job so I have money. So when I was 16, I wanted to buy a lot of clothes <laughs> and Prince albums and, you know, go see Madonna in concert. Like this is what I wanted to do. So it was important yeah. for me to be respectful to this boss. So it's virtually impossible mm. to have no emotion. So then I have to decide how can I in a safe way express this? I might, let's all be honest. We've all had some bosses where there isn't a safe way to express anger. There isn't. Mm. You, you, if you That's express right. the mildest amount of disappointment, you, you could be fired. So it, this part might be, I can't express how I'm feeling in this situation, mm -hmm. but you may have a boss. I, when I was a school counselor, my principal was a very fair boss and I would have never raged at her, but I could let her know I'm feeling really irritated right now. I, is there any way mm. I can ABC? So there's a different example. I, was able to influence how I experienced anger because I lessened it. Mm -hmm. I made it more of an irritation mm -hmm. than a rage. But keeping in mind, yeah. again, I'm sure all of our kids, and, and I was a teacher, so I'm saying this, it's, it's true in all fields. We have some teachers who children can express mild feelings of irritation and what have you that you're feeling. And then some of our children have teachers where no, that that's, that's not gonna happen. This is a rule, this is what you have to follow. So it is a teachable thing to teach our kids which emotions are safe to have in certain triggering situations mm -hmm. and which are better to hold off on until you get home. Yeah. So in yeah. your situation- kind of reminds me. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, it reminds me of like when, uh, one of my daughters was in first grade and there was a rule, no tears. And then her stomach started hurting, you know, every day. So it was like, she was, there were different, she, it was like, you can't do this, but then nobody had a rule about the tummy. Right. <laughs> so it's it was like, like come she out started going out. to the nurse and that was how she regulated herself. Right. Oh, poor baby. And tears are uh -huh. such a natural thing that like saddens yeah. me. To hear that. <laughs> I was wondering in your situation with your boss, with the toothbrush and the scrubbing the floor, 
Yeah. Would you be able to express any levels of anger towards that boss? Or would that be a, I can't express this emotion right now. You know, I'm the type of person that will try and to express certain emotions. Um, but, and I, and this is, this, this verbiage is, is very, you know, high level, but it's like, you know, he had very flat affect. And so Mm -hmm. it was like, it, it didn't feel rewarding in any way, even if he would take it. Um, because it wasn't like he, he ever expressed that he understood. Sure. So I, I can't remember at that, like thinking back at that point, if he could take some of it, I think that my, you know, my, my true nature is to be a people pleaser. And so I think Mm -hmm. that I just took it and was like, Oh, okay. And then my employees, you know, or the people that were under me, because I was managing at that point, you know, then it was like, we have to, you know, they got it more, not Mm -hmm. the boss. Like, and because you express that you express that emotion when you felt safe yes yes and yeah. and so parents were doing this on per i'm doing this on purpose i'm intentional that i'm giving these examples because i want this to make meaning and sense to you because once you understand what emotion regulation is and how you are doing emotion regulation on the daily it's helpful to then be able to work with our children on this. Now, some parents who are listening, they may have struggled with this their whole life. So they're like, hey, I get this. I say things in the moment, I get fired, um, I get in trouble, fights with my spouse. You know, there, there, there are people who are like, no, I, I knew this, I knew this is a part of it. But trust me when I say there could be a great deal of you, a great many of you that are out there that have never thought of this. I never thought of this. One of my strengths is that I'm a pretty, pretty emotionally regulated person. And it's kind of a shame in a strange way because I had to really learn Mm. it to then understand. No wonder so many of my clients have a full out meltdown after they're triggered in a classroom because they don't have the strength of emotion regulation. And so they're having the feeling in the moment at the intensity in the way that their body feels like they have to have it. It's not personal. (laughs) It's, It's just that skill hasn't been developed. Mm, Yeah. And it can be so, it can be so hard for, in a, in a group setting for a teacher, um, or a boss because they, again, like if we think about this as a chain reaction, maybe they had something that happened to them. So they don't feel like they can even hold your stuff. And then it just like, it doesn't ever feel like it gets resolved. And part of what I'm hearing is, you know, it's an important skill to learn so that you know where and when and how it's appropriate to let out these behaviors so that you can actually um, have more balance in your life or your kid's life or help them with that. And it's so important, especially, yes, it's so true. And it's especially if you're the parent of a teen, teaching Mm. this 
you really want to add the point so you can get what you want or you can get what you need. Mm. So you're not doing this to mm -hmm. make your teacher happy, but you're doing this because when you get suspended, you get in trouble at home. And then there's certain things that we can't do as a family. And so you don't want to mm -hmm. be suspended. So you're doing it to ultimately get what you want. Or like I said, in my example, I could have told off my boss, but I really liked getting a paycheck. So with children, you don't need to say that part as much, but with teens, you really need to make sure they understand you're doing this for you. You're not doing this so the teacher mm -hmm. will be happy with you necessarily. It's nice if, if you do want your teacher to be happy, but a lot of teens don't really care about that, <laughs> the happiness of their teacher. But you're doing it to keep yourself calmer, to keep you from getting what you want. And that can be an important little twist when you're working with teens. Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you said that because sometimes with... Um sometimes with explaining this to children or helping children realize this, one thing that I find really helpful in my work is to kind of work through a list of menu, if you will, or menus, if you will, that, that talk like almost map out. If I do this, I might get this in the moment, but then what happens next? If I do this, you know, it's a different, it's a different way to handle it. And do I get a different outcome? And it almost gamifies it so yeah. that it helps the child to be, be start think having critical thinking skills and not that they shouldn't have that emotion. I'm not trying to suffocate it or push it down, but I'm trying to help them to think th with their logic and the thinking part of their brain. Hey, there are different ways to respond and yeah, like you said, with teens too, like, is it getting you what you want? Right. And is it right? Like in the, in the end, because sometimes again, like you said, and I know this is, I'm just reiterating it, but I think it's worth mentioning again. I want to keep my job. So I'm going to just kind of chuckle and say, okay, I'll, I will keep working on that floor. Even though the tile was the very first one when you walked in the door of Starbucks and I was like, come on man <laughs> I mean I could have cleaned it five minutes ago and there were 17 people that already walked on it like <laughs> and I'm just like okay okay <laughs> and you did bring up it's you're honoring the emotion you're having we're not trying to change yeah. it having an emotion and expressing an emotion are two very different things I'm having an emotion yeah. of rage within me, but in that moment, it's not safe to express it. So I'm not expressing it. Yeah. If that, if that sure, makes sense. Sure. So yeah. when I have to get up in front of a group of people to present, which I do quite often. So mm -hmm. you think I would get a little less nervous. I have a lot of, of anxious, um, anxiousness in me at the moment. Uh, and I honor that it's something I have, but I try my hardest not to express it to my audience members so I can come across as, you know, a professional who knows what she's talking about. <laughs> so, yeah. yes, we, we still know. Sure. Yes. We still recognize we have emotions. Yeah, Absolutely. And that can be helpful for teens, too, because I've had teens that are like, well, I'm just keeping it real. And it's like, well, I'm not asking you to not keep it real. I'm just asking you to you think about how you're expressing it. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's so helpful. Um, so that was a lot, Tracy. What? That's a lot on what regulation is. Right. And I'm curious what was life changing for you? Sure. About that, knowing this that. is, this is a perfect time to talk about that. So what was life changing for me was when I was at some training, I wish I could even give credit to whomever said this. I, I don't remember. And someone said, it is important to assume that all of us, children, teen, and adults, have some amount of dysregulation at all times. And if we're only focusing on the dysregulation when it's at the boiling point, we are going to have a much harder time regulating someone. Mm. That was mind, wow. mind blowing, mind blowing because what typically yeah, happens because often, yeah, we only, we go to the crisis. We're like, my kid needs help when they're, when they are, de you know, suspended or in detention, not like, Hey, they're having a hard time sitting and cause they're wiggling or, you know, it's, and, and we are having little tiny blowups at home or temper tantrums or different things. Right. For any parent out there who may have panic yeah. disorder or, or anxiety and that can turn into severe panic, they will be able to understand this concept so well. Because if they try to calm themselves down once they're having a full out panic attack, it is next to impossible. That's the point where anyone who has panic attacks will say, that's when I just got to write it out. It feels lousy. It feels horrible, mm -hmm. but I just have to write it out. But when you think about it, we talk over and over and over again about interventions for kids, interventions for kids, interventions for kids. But if we remember that all of us have some level of dysregulation at all times, we can start mm. focused on preventing prevention doing emotion regulation activities before we even have any signs that our kids mm, are dysregulated. Yes. And then we're, oh my goodness. Yeah. And then that equips them because in the moment, like you said, you just have to ride it out. And it's not, it's not like you can, I mean, literally like, it's like, okay, we need to get a snack or get them in a, in a room that they're safe, help them. Right. And, and those, um, and that is often when kids come to see um, mental health counselors like you and I, but all, all parents, all caregivers, all people can learn how to resource themselves to increase their regulation or, as I like to say, their capacity to know when to show the feeling in safety and how to show it in safety. Exactly. That's why that was such a life-changing moment for me because I can use my own personal examples. As a therapist, I would work, 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 take that other client, take that next client, do what I have to do. And I would only self-care when I start feeling it, when the anxiety was kicking mm -hmm. in, when I was shaking, having trouble sleeping. And when this person, whoever it was, made this statement to me, that's when I realized 
it's so much harder to regulate once I'm at that point. I imagine a thermometer where it's like getting hotter and hotter. Mm -hmm. If I'm only working on it when it's mm -hmm. way up here, it's so much harder to get it down. So I created, um, you know, we've heard about sensory diets with some of our kids who are neurodiverse. Mm -hmm. I created yeah. like an emotion regulation diet. I have certain things Ooh. that I do every day, every day. Um, I mix them up. But before I even feel dysregulated, I feel great right now. I'm enjoying this podcast, but I already had planned when this is over before my next client, I'm going to take a walk because I'm assuming, okay. even though I feel okay, I'm assuming I have some level of dysregulation in me. So I'm going to go take a walk. That's a strategy I use to calm down. So that was life-changing. And I really think it can be for parents too. If you wake your children up for school and do a two-minute prevention activity, assuming they have some level of emotion dysregulation, that they, you might not see a meltdown. Wow. Okay. Okay. So that felt like, woo! To yes. me, as even as a parent, like, oh my goodness, yeah. And like, what if, and then I took it a step further when you were, just when you were saying that, like I, the light bulb, light bulb, right? And I know this, but I, you know, I need to, I don't embody it. And, and this is so helpful. Okay, so a parent, what if the parent woke up and did their emotional regulation prevention and then went and helped their child, regardless of their child's reaction or ability to complete the prevention, you've already resourced yourself. So we're aiding our child and we're modeling for them. Yes. You know, something that's- <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna try that. This, you can hold me to that. Next time we talk, I'm gonna try. <laughs> it's, we're, there's a therapeutic term we're using a lot in our field that parents may not have heard of. I don't know why a parent would, unless they were in this field. It's called co-regulation. It's being talked about a lot in mm -hmm. literature. And it's the idea that we're, we are a trusted person is helping co-regulate with our children. And then they can take our calmness and feel a bit of that as well. If you mm -hmm. are working on your own emotion regulation, assuming, guess what? None of us are super moms. We're not, we're just not. So if you wake up in nope. the morning, <laughs> uh, assume you have some level of dysregulation. Dads too, I keep saying mom, cause I'm a mom, but dads too. Wake up in the morning, assume you have some level of dysregulation. Even if you're like, I'm fine today. No, assume you have some level of dysregulation. Do a quick two, three, four minute, whatever you need to do. That that could be game changing for your child. And then you wake totally, up your child totally and then you do a two or three minute activity with them. Oh my goodness. It totally is. Okay, so I'm going to, after we get off this podcast, truly, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set up a little schedule for myself and try and, and commit to a week. Yes. And then, I'll, and then, you know, reevaluate. But I want to because I know even like there's so many transitions and holidays coming up. Um, you know, while we're when we're recording this, it's like a few days before Halloween. Mm -hmm. And I mean, oh, my goodness, like the amount of even changes in schedules and transitions that can cause us to feel out of whack or out of balance or dysregulated, if you will, you know, so, so much needed. Okay. 
Okay, so I will stop this about me, but this is this is so great. But you were talking about doing whatever. So Tracy, mm-hmm. I think if if you're okay with it, I'd love to pivot and can you give us because I know we talked about having five practical ways to help your child yes. regulate. Can you share some of those ways or all of them right now? Um and what that looks like so that parents actually have tangible things that they can do, me included, and in the, you know, in these, in this next week that I've committed to. Uh, <laughs> I love that you committed to it. No, but so like, what? you know, so that we can, so that they can begin to learn either preventatively or if your child's already in that meltdown stage, they can begin to work these in before mm-hmm. the meltdown comes so that they can see a decrease in meltdown. So, you know, I mean, we all need tips and it would be really helpful to hear your tips, especially because I know you work with kids and families all the time mm-hmm. um, to help them do this exact thing. Sure. So I do have some, it's going to end up being more than five just because of my first activity. Great. You can have multiple things with it. One of the things I'm very mindful of is most activities I suggest to parents to practice don't require any materials because I really think, um, can you imagine if I was extremely dependent on a fidget and then I'm at the grocery store and I'm standing in line and I can't get through and I'm like, where's my fidget? (laughs) So I like to have ideas of things that don't necessarily require materials. However, saying that the first thing I'm going to suggest does require materials. And I suggest it it, it could be everyone in the family. I I find that this is the most successful when not just the identified client has this, but when everyone in the family, and it's simply called a sensory bag and you can make it as simple. Okay. So I just want to say something. I, I just want to say something before you talk about sensory bag is for those of you who have never been in the client, in the in the counseling world, the identified patient would be the, or the identified client would be the person that we're working with primarily. And so Tracy here is just talking about basically the identified troublemaker. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The one who was identified. (laughs) Although we all know our role in a family. I was the identified troublemaker growing up, but my sister was just I was too. I was the troublemaker. I was the tattletaler. Always getting in trouble. Oh my goodness. Always. We know it's a whole family that causes all this. (laughs) So yes, thank you for clarifying that for me. So I I try not to use words that are like just the therapist know, but I do still do that. So I apologize. So a sensory bag, it it can be as detailed or as general as you want. Something that I naturally learned about myself is that I had created a sensory bag in my purse because I, and I didn't realize I did it. Um, in my purse, I have this little like zippered pouch and I have, um, lotion that smells really nice. And I have some essential oils. And I have this cute little picture of my daughter when she was a baby. So, you know, I, without realizing it, I had kind of created, I have gum, you know, I kind of created a sensory bag, but for children who need to learn this, they need to have a concrete example of a sensory bag. So parents, you can make this as simple or as detailed as you want. I'm not a very crafty person. 
So when we make sensory bags in my office, we start with a gallon plastic bag. That, that's what we use. I've seen mm -hmm. parents who have made beautiful bags. It's up to you, you know, how you want to do it. And in this bag, I'm, I'm more of the gallon plastic bag lady. <laughs> Another one that I've noticed some counselors are doing, you can get like those like almost like nylon drawstring bags, relatively inexpensive. And, and that could be a good example too. You don't want it too big because you don't want it to be overwhelming. You want your child to have one mm -hmm. strategy for each of the five sen senses, excuse me. Now, if there's okay. any occupational therapist out there, I know there really are eight senses, <laughs> but for the purposes of this, we're <laughs> going to focus on our five senses, the sight, smell, taste, hearing, and touch. Okay. In that bag, you're going to have one strategy, one item for each of those. Okay. So if we start with sight, an example of this could be a, a picture of them on a family vacation, um, a picture of their dog, uh, a drawing that their mom made for them, uh, a picture out of a magazine. Oh my gosh, magazines have such beautiful pictures. So you're going to have some kind of picture that if they're feeling overwhelmed or they're starting to feel a little dysregulated, or maybe this is the prevention strategy you do every morning, go get your sensory bag and spend some time with it. But the sight one is going to be something that's very meaningful for them to look at. Simple. And it helps them to kind of settle. Yes, it does. When they see it. Yes. So I have a, a picture of my daughter as a baby, but the other thing that I really recommend, if you can find a nature magazine, uh, something that I have great, I, and I actually have one all folded up in my bag. I have this beautiful picture of like the ocean and the beach. And sometimes when you're sitting there and you're looking at it, it does in an odd way almost feel like we're there. So that's the example yeah. for the sight one. Does that make sense? It does. And, okay. and I just want to, and I, I'm pretty sure that you're going to, you're going to touch on this, but just, you know, if a parent is tempted to skip over this little part on our, in our podcast, I do want to just name that one of, and just check in with you to see if this is the same reason why you do this is that oftentimes we may have tools like this, or we may have these around the house, but if they're not in one place, then we might not be using them and we may need to utilize different ones at different times. And so it's really helpful to have them set in a space that we can go and we know where they're at. It becomes almost like, you know, routine, like, Oh, I'm feeling bad. I'm going to go grab my bag. I have some of the things that I need. Like I don't, I wouldn't always need to use lotion, but I might need gum, you know, on a different day or something like that. Like in I your so bag. Agree. It really needs to be contained. It needs to be contained in a bag so at all times they know where it is. They can reach out to it when they need it. If you're having to search around the house looking for it, I know with me there is few things as dysregulating as looking for something that's in my house. <laughs> yes. My phone. Where is my phone? <laughs> so if I had to spend time looking for my regulating item 
amped up my dysregulation a lot. So yes, it would be very good to have this contained in a bag or in a space. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. That's like, where is, so where is it? Where is it? And we're laughing because we've done this so many times, listeners. Oh, because we, we're we all human and we know that, you know, we know these experiences. Yes. It helps us be more like empathetic towards our children and our clients when we realize that we have some yes. of the same difficulties. So the ear one can be a little bit more trickier. Um, but what what I've done in the past is they have these really adorable little plastic flutes and some of my kids love to play those and love to hear the sounds or sometimes um, you can make a cute little um, out of like a, it would be pretty small unless you had a drawstring bag. You could take like a can of coffee and make it into a little drum and that sound is very calming. Now we're getting a little bit tactile with the drum as well, which there's been some studies out talking about the regulation of someone who drums. Uh, there's also such mm -hmm. a thing as a rain stick that a lot of cultures have used where you can make a very easy one. You can take a paper towel or a toilet paper roll, um, cover each end, decorate it before you cover it, put little beads and kind of let them hear it go back and forth. So those are a few examples of hearing. Um, Sometimes mm -hmm. my parents have come up with hearing regulation that isn't in the bag. Like they found an app on the phone or they have a sound machine or a fan in their room. And that is perfectly mm -hmm. acceptable. I would still want to have one thing in the bag that may be helpful. Yeah. One thing that I will say is if there's, if you are, if you like to like thrift or go to garage sales or something, sometimes little tiny, um, like, you know, like snow globes or dancers with the music winder on the bottom. Sometimes it, it's also, I find that it's, it can be helpful because they're, they're little, they have a duration that they're played and they, um, and then if you're getting them a few of the, you know, like them from a, a sec second hand, they're not as uh, special of an item to you. And so if they, if they are a little more fragile, um, then you could have a few on hand type thing. Perfect. Yes, perfect. You know, I love that example. So there are sound ones. It's just there, there's not as many sound ones. Now they also, you know, yeah. there are times where I work with kids who have some pretty severe sensory processing difficulties who may also be seen an occupational therapist as well as myself. And I know that sometimes what's in there are like um, earplugs because what they need to help calm themselves is less noise. So that has been one yes. that has been suggested to me from occupational therapists as well. Oh, that's helpful. And when I was a kid and, you know, cheap earplugs were just cotton or toilet paper. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so once you make the tube, put the toilet paper in their ear. <laughs> they have some pretty advanced earplugs. They have some pretty advanced earplugs yeah. now um, for, for anyone who may have the, the funds. They're not super expensive, but they mm. are going to cost money. 
uh, that when you put these yeah. earplugs in, you can still hear voices, but it's reducing background noise. It's very interesting. And that's been very helpful I, for some of my neurodiverse clients who really struggle yeah. with outside noise. And and this is a side note, but I was um, watching the documentary on Netflix, Babies, and they were showing putting babies in an MRI machine, and they put, like, little construction um, they were like silicone ear muffs, so it didn't go around the head, but they were little tiny, they were almost like little pucks, and they they also dampened the sound. And I, and, and I just saw that last night, and I was going to try and order some because I was like, oh, my goodness, that would be amazing because they're small enough. They're not like big headphones, and I know that they are more cost-effective, but I, oh, I, I was excited to see those. Oh, thank you for if sharing. If I find them, I'll send you some, Tracy. Oh, dude, send me some. I would. I mean, I love that. That's, that's a really. They're going in my sensory bag. <laughs> right. As a parent, sometimes I, I need to be like, "Woo!" <laughs> and what a good sign to everyone in your family that you're practicing. Yes, you're modeling. <laughs> you're modeling yes. your own need for emotion regulation. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so for the need a sound time out. <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. You you just sometimes need a, a, a sense. You're just feeling sensory overload. The other thing a lot of parents mm -hmm. have said to me, I think an occupational therapist could explain it much better than I could. So I would leave that to them. But my parents are often very confused as to why their child is a sensory avoider. They don't like a lot of noises that they're not producing. But if they're producing it, wow, <laughs> they like really loud sounds. <laughs> that is just a very interesting thing. Do not despair, parents. That is very common. It probably has something to do with control. They're able to control the sound. And we, if someone doesn't like loud noises, it doesn't mean they don't like any loud noises, you know, there's just certain ones that trigger you more than others. So that that's something that's brought to my attention yeah. a lot. Oh, how come that bothers them, but then they bang on pots and pans with a spoon and that doesn't. It's just, we all have different like <laughs> auditory stresses. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's right. Okay. So then for the, I oh, butt so, in. So yeah. I was ready just going to say, I butt in before. I'm ready for the, the taste. The taste one. So the taste, the two best things to help with regulation when it comes to tasting is sucking on something or chewing on something. I find this is one of the most easiest ones to have. So you either have like a stick of chewing gum in there, um, star, a starburst. Like you don't fill them up to where they're just rare. You know, a starburst, right. uh, gummy bears, Gummy worms. A sucker. Uh, a sucker would be a perfect one to suck on. Peppermint candy. Um, there, there are so many. You, you, of course, want it to be non-perishable. And you only put like one or two in at a time. And then you can always refill it. I have a cart in my office that allows them to refill their sensory bags. Just in case their parents don't, you know, have the means to have all of these things. Um, so we get something to choose, something to suck. Usually a, a child has one preference over the other, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. You know, in my little bag, I always have gum. And then I have like, there are these hard cinnamon 
candies. And those are just Ooh, the two things. We're that learning are... so much about you. <laughs> so much about me and my sensory needs. <laughs> so I feel like that one's pretty easy. I think the only one that's easier than that is tactile because um, mass marketing has figured out tactile. Uh, the new things are those um, poppets and fidget mm -hmm. spinners and squeeze balls. I mean, this is really an area that I don't think any parent is going to struggle with. The only thing they might struggle with is whichever we're choosing to put in this bag stays in the bag. So we're not searching. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So that one tends to be one of the ones that's a little bit easier uh, the smell can be quite mm. easy also. You can buy little miniature hand lotions. Uh, in our world of COVID, maybe you can buy some little miniature hand sanitizers that smell good. <laughs> I, I know. I've, I've smelled some really good ones. <laughs> really good ones. It's like, do these work? These smell awfully good. <laughs> One I of the things I have in my office, I have a cotton ball. And I have some kids safe essential oils. You want to make sure you have kids safe ones. I put one little drop, one little drop, maybe two on the cotton ball. We take a fabric square, we wrap it up and tie it. And that smells for a good two weeks. So that's just an easy thing. Mm, we've done. Yeah. A lot of my uh, clients are very surprised how much smell helps them calm. I also mm -hmm. know that they make um, necklaces. And I might not be able to explain this very well, but they're necklaces that look unigender, like boys or girls could wear them. And they have like mm -hmm. a little pendant with holes in them. And you can put a couple drops of essential oil on a little sponge. And I have quite a few clients that are using that sensory tool in school as well. Wow. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I know mm -hmm. that I've seen those and I like at craft stores more, mm -hmm. um, than like jewelry stores. But I, I would imagine too, that it would be really easy to make something like that um, with a child with beads as well, you know, like pony beads or um, something right. like a string. And, and like you said, like that cotton ball and fabric, right? And then just reapply oh, as needed. Exactly. exactly. And you know, the sensory bag has been so successful for so many of my families. Some of my families, uh, have a second sensory bag for the car because they say their children mm. get very dysregulated in the car and start hitting each other and yelling at each other. So I've had some parents who have one in the car. I, uh, since I have a background of education, I do attend my uh, clients 504 and IEP meetings and we've been able to get that into mm -hmm. their IEPs if they have one. Uh, I actually, when mm. I lived up in St. Louis, I had a school district that, that had me go into the school and talk about this. And I had some teachers that incorporated it with all of their students. I mean, can you wow. imagine? Wow. They gave them two little carnival tickets. I know. And so two times during the day, they could give their teacher a carnival ticket and then go use their sensory bag. Wow. I mean, and I, I love this. And I just want to say as a, for our listeners, um, because I think it's worth remembering is that this bag, again, like we were talking about earlier, I know we've been talking about this for quite a few minutes is something that we want to 
put together with the child or, um, you know, if it's for yourself, put it together in my, with, with, as with you in mind, have in mind, let me back up, have in mind what you, what would be helpful to you and practice with them. Yes. So sometimes you may say a pop, it's good, or I'm going to use a fidget spinner, but you realize that a child, um, you know, uses it like a, a ninja star instead of, you know, as a tool. <laughs> and so maybe you need a, you know, oh, we did it preventatively. So we're going to, we're going to actually swap it out and see, and we're going to tr- practice this one for the next week or so. And if we're using them preventatively, then at, when we are feeling those bubbling up, we're not at that height height when we're feeling bubbling up, we can go and, and because we've been practicing it and then actually help our body to begin to, um, go back into balance or, um, come back down. And you bring up such a really good point. I I work with a lot of clients and I probably have parents here that are going to like be nodding their head. Uh, we have some kids that have very short attention spans. So what works one week, the next week, they're like, I don't want to do that anymore. So that's where creativity can mm. really come in handy. Googling mm-hmm. um, smells and, you know, different things such as that. Some of our kids, they love comfort and routine. So they will use that same scent of lotion for the next year. Mm-hmm. And you need to buy it in bulk because if you run out, there's going to be a problem. And then we have other kids who you're going, parents, you're going to have to be on your toes. It's going to be like, well, that did work, but now it doesn't. Right. So let's take that one out and let's put a new one in. What I definitely recommend, some of my uh, clients have brought in their sensory bags and they're filled to the rim because they just keep adding stuff. I say one of each one. Otherwise, it just gets too messy and it's just hard to pick out what you need. And But it also, I, I agree. I totally agree with that. But I will also say it kind of gives you an insight into like the child's loves stuff right but then what being able to regulate probably is really hard because they're they're they love so much stuff or they have so much and so it's also a wonderful way to teach them how to edit so that you know when again when they're learning to regulate you know we're editing who yes in a moment so i think it's. i'm gonna use that word you know i i've never used that word there you go you use it we're learning to edit in order to <laughs> regulate because we all know that if we have too much clutter around us, that it's very hard to regulate. Ooh, I like yeah. that word. Nice. Well, thank you. <laughs> I know. So that's the sensory bag. That's, well, that's used quite often. Okay. So those are things that parents can help their children put together or put together for themselves that are, that, take materials and then but you also promised that you have some that don't use materials so i'd love to jump into that sure i'm going to introduce two breathing techniques breathing is so (laughs) i was gonna say breathing so important of course we all breathe you know if we're not breathing (laughs) there's a problem (laughs) but it's the only way but i mean yeah but i was gonna say it's the only way that we can actually in our body, if I understand this, if I understand the neuroscience correctly, like actually um, pace our, our, the way our, in which our heart beat begins to either go down or up. Yes. It, it's, Is that correct? 
Yeah. Yes. It's amazing how by us having some purposeful breathing, focused, mindful, however you want to call that, by us being able to do that, we could actually see physical changes in our body and the physical changes we see regulate our bodies. The problem mm -hmm. we've run into as parents and therapists is a lot of the techniques we've learned our children don't enjoy them. <laughs> so they're like, I, right. I don't, I don't want to do this. This is not interesting or fun. And, or they'll go like, okay, I'll do belly breathing. <gasps> and it's like, well, that's not quite <laughs> how we do it. So speaking of that, um, co-regulation, which upregulates them, it like, exactly. it, it, it actually can increase their heart rate and it makes them yeah. more anxious. Yes. <laughs> you have to exhale well, longer than the yes. inhale. <laughs> so as a child, if you have a young child, um, these are really sweet breathing techniques you can do with your child that really helps with co-regulation. So you both are working together on regulation. Uh, you know, even mm -hmm. children and teens will do this with their parents as well. But, you know, you just don't know which teen you're getting in the morning when you wake up. So they may not want to do this with you, and mm -hmm. that's okay. Um, but the sure. two I'm going to introduce, um, one is called five-finger breathing. Pretty common. People have heard of this. But what I like about it is you're practicing your breathing while you're incorporating touch as well and it can oh, be yes. very calming yes. and regulating we have a lot of like nerves in our hands so it can be very calming and regulating and it's pretty easy to teach a child basically as you're taking your index finger and going up your opposite hand breathing or uh, going up is inhaling down is blowing out and I usually say blowing out to kids because that helps get a, a much nicer out breath. Research has shown it's 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 healthier if your out breath is a couple seconds longer than your in breath. But I think that gets really technical when working with children. So instead, if I say blow out, I notice it seems like they do that longer. So basically, yeah, it's a pro tip. So you do this, the other thing you can do, I wish I had like a little sample child here. If we pretended this is our child, we could use our finger and model us oh, yes. and talk about a co-regulation. I mean, it feels mm -hmm. good for me to do this with my own hand and finger, but if I had a loved one do this, Oh, that's even mm. more regulating. So if yeah. this is a hard and, I one, mean, I can just feel the nerves. Yeah. Yes, it's very calming. And then I often suggest they say about seven to nine in and out breaths typically are what it takes to regulate when they've studied this. So I always say if you start mm -hmm. with this hand and then go to this hand, well, one, two, three, yeah, five. I was going to say that's 10 total. So that. That can be a really nice way of making sure you're getting the ins are up, outs are down. If you need a visual for your child, a lot of my kids that are neurodiverse need a visual. You could 
look this up. You can Google this and you are going to find some really lovely visuals of the five finger breathing and, mm -hmm. and videos mm -hmm. as well. Um, so this is a really successful one. I recommend this a lot to my to my clients. The other one I love is mm -hmm. rainbow breathing because you get to actually do a little Ooh. bit of movement, especially we can get really tight in our shoulders. So basically mm -hmm. with rainbow breathing, you have your hands down by your sides and you're going to go like okay. this and bring your hands up. You can see me and then back down and your, your co-regulator they're going to name out every color of the rainbow. So we have red. And as I'm blowing out my and for those of you who, And for those of you who are watching, just so you are, you know, you can see Tracy, but for those of you who are just listening, she's moving her arms up and then all the way down. Yes. And it's kind of like uh, a, it almost feels like to me, like a yoga move, like, it does to the morning or something like that. I agree. And so you're co now, you know, I don't need a co-regulator. If I model this and I go, I'm going to be saying red to myself. Cause if I'm saying red out loud while I'm trying to breathe in and out, that kind of disrupts my breathing. Mm -hmm. But a lot of my kids sure. are highly creative and they've actually told me as I'm saying the color red, they're starting to like, see the image of red, which seems to be additionally mm. very calming as well. So those are mm. two breathings that I have found to be very helpful. Um, I'm going to add one in that I didn't have planned to talk about. And this works really well with teens who may not want to co-regulate with a parent or who may not want to be um, standing in line at the grocery store, like doing these big arcs. It's a simple, you're touching your thumb with your index finger and you're breathing in and out. Touching your thumb with your middle finger. Thumb you can even do ring. this with your hands in your pocket. Absolutely. This is my go-to. I know that we had talked about, huh, I wonder, uh, we had, I think we talked about off camera, like what would be your favorite one? This is my go-to. If I'm yeah. uh, in oh, traffic awesome. at a stop, I do this. These are my go-tos. I just, I like the feeling of the touch, breathing in, blowing out, and no one else sees me doing it. So those are three uh, mm. good breathing that you don't need anything and you are going to control your heart rate slowing, your blood pressure regulating. It's pretty fascinating what breathing can do. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm going to use this. I'm going to use rainbow for my week trial this next week of regulating myself. And then I'm going to go into my kiddo's bedroom and I'm going to invite them to join me because I feel like I'm going to be able to remember this because it's a yoga move that I love but it's mm -hmm. also going to be helpful because it's like stretching and breathing and it's going to help me to take those moments for myself. Yes. I'm yes. so excited. So that could be <laughs> yours. And you might find you're doing it a lot because it is the one that just really resonated with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. Wow. You've given us so much. And I know you said, I, I want to be mindful of time because we have been talking for a long time and I, I could, we could keep going if you, if you have the time, but I know that you mentioned that you had some, a lot of things to, to um, 
also that, you know, you need to take a walk before your clients. So you tell me, <laughs> do you have more regulation? I have two um, more. Two I have, wanted to talk about. Oh, perfect. I have Great. two more that I would love to talk about. Um, so two more. The one is we used to do this as children. I don't know the age of the parents listening, but as children, um, we would have like a sibling or a friend that would take their finger and write a letter on our back and we would have to guess what it was. That is a powerful, Mm -hmm. regulating, calming activity. Um, So many Mm. of our kids are really feeling starved for touch in the world of COVID. Um, So it it is amazing how well I've been recommending this regulating activity a lot to my parents and they are saying they're doing it like it is a nighttime routine with their kids and their kids oh, are just like beautiful. Oh, oh, you can do this on your own too. If someone else's touch is not comfortable to you, some parents out there might be like, my kids are sensory avoiders. If I touch them, they cringe and that's okay. They could just take their little palm. So I'm going to write a B. I'm going to write a C and then they can erase it off. And that can be really calming. I I can still feel it on my hand. It's pretty interesting. So Mm -hmm. that can be really calming as well. And, and sometimes too, if depending on the age of the kid, right. So you can do shapes. I know for littler ones, you can do, you can do like a phrase or a sentence, not a phrase, but a sentence like, I remember, you know, I, again, I was the troublemaker in my family. My mother would be like, it's time for bed, Susie. And I would be like, okay, you know, I'd keep talking. I'd get the, be in, I'd be get in trouble because I would be talking and don't talk. Then I'd whisper, don't whisper. And then we would play this game. <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> I was on the top bunk with my sister. <laughs> On the other top bunk. There were so many kids. Anyway. Okay. That's too much about me, but I love that. It brings back so many good memories too of regulating because I had a hard time going to sleep. Mm -hmm. And so I did, we did this naturally. Right. But like sometimes we forget resources that we used to help us go to sleep or to help us regulate in a moment. Wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. I do find it very interesting that two people that were troublemakers became therapists. That might be a whole different podcast. (laughs) I know. I know. You got to come back on it. We'll do (laughs) the pathway, the pathway to our profession. (laughs) And like the last one I'm going to recommend because it's a, I'm, there, there are so many things you can do. Um, obviously, for purposes of time, it would be hard to present every single one. I'm, I decided to present the ones that have the most minimal amount of materials that seem to be the most successful with a wide variety of my clients. So, of course, they might not all work mm. for you and your family, but it's just getting you starting to think. Um, the last one I love is called a baby eye walk. And you can do this in your neighborhood. You can do this in your backyard because in nature, things are rare. Well, things are never the same. You know, they just aren't. (laughs) Things change out of nature. So the easiest way. Unless you, uh, you know, unless you get fake grass. Yes, that is true. (laughs) But there might be a different fly that flies on that fake grass. Oh, that is, that is true. Okay. I stand corrected. (laughs) So the easiest way to do this is with the sense of sight 
or sound. Um, you can get very challenging and talk about smells and things such as that, but the sight and the sound are the two easiest ways to do it. And it's as simple as you say, we're going to go take a walk outside. And as we're walking very slowly, we are going to name out everything we see. Does that make sense? Oh, I think I lost you, Susan. There Here you are. I'm here. There you are. You went out and took a walk. <laughs> I did. <laughs> We've been talking so long, Tracy, that the camera battery ran out. The camera's like, we're sick of you. <laughs> Enough of you two. <laughs> Should I repeat the intervention? Okay, wait. So please, please repeat the intervention because I was not only, I was not only not paying attention because I was trying to regulate myself, trying to figure out if the sound was on while the camera was off, but I was also thinking about when I was a child that I also would sneak food up into my bed and no wonder because I was trying to help myself regulate when I was writing on the backs of my sister. And of course my mom would be mad, but it was like, you know. A great regulation tool. <laughs> I know, that's so funny. <laughs> you were like, whoa, I'm having all this insight. I need to call my mother. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry, Mom. <laughs> but I've turned out fine. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> so the last one is a baby oh. I walk. And how, and how I would best explain this is you could take a walk in your backyard, in your neighborhood. I have a, a backyard area here in my office, and so we can go back there. And the easiest senses to focus on are your eyes or uh, what you're mm. seeing or what you're hearing. You can try to incorporate other ones. Taste would be extremely difficult, but you can try to incorporate the others. And, and I will often say, so we're going to go outside and walk around and we're going to pretend we've never been out here before as if we're brand new babies and anything we see, just call it out. Just say what you see. So it might be butterfly and we're walking very slowly, very mindfully, a red flower. Um, I see a, a man getting into his car. I see... Um, a trash can. I see a, a bunny. So you're just calling all these scenes out. And for a parent, they might be thinking, well, well, what is the purpose of this? But what we've really learned is that when we're focusing on our senses, it's very grounding. It puts us in the moment when we're actively looking for something to see. We are not focused on anything else but that. So it ends up being a very mindful activity to do. Plus the movement can be very regulating as well. Okay. okay. Hi. And we're back. I think. I don't. Let me make sure I have. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. No, you're fine. I was joking that I'm I just having the so computer much fun. hates this intervention. <laughs> There's like forces of this intervention. They're like, no more. No, no. <laughs> 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 
it's like well, everything that's going could go wrong is going wrong. <laughs> well, what a great time for it to go wrong because we're talking about emotion regulation. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you get I know. to practice. I know. You get to practice. I know. You get to practice. Let's do our breathing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so should I take it awesome. from the top? Should I oh, start? Should I start from the very beginning on sure, this yes. one? Okay. The... Yes. Okay. So the last one is baby I walk. And you could walk in your neighborhood. You could walk in your backyard, your front yard. It incorporates movement, which is such a wonderful thing. You're going to be walking slowly. And you're going to pick a sense. Easier would be sounds, so what you're listening to, or sight, what you're seeing. And you're going outside and you're just gently calling out. So let's say we're doing sight. So as you're slow walking, you're just calling out things you're noticing as if you were a baby. You never ever walked around your subdivision before. So you may call out leaf, a, a cat, a red flower. Um, this is especially wonderful for people who live where there's four seasons because really you could do this four times a year. And I mean, you could do it more than that, but you're really going to see mm. different things every time you take a walk. The lovely thing about this is there is a newness every time you do it because there are things you see or yeah. hear the one time that you don't. And this activity is so great for mindfulness because studies have shown that grounding techniques, such as focusing on your senses in the moment, are highly regulating. So those are it. Yes. Oh my goodness, that's awesome. And I love that you shared your favorite personal regulation tool. And just um, as a reminder to folks about breathing, you know, it's so important to utilize breathing, but it's can be, it can feel really just regulating to a kid. Mm -hmm. So trying different ones out. I, I'm so glad Tracy that you shared, um, a few of them. One of my favorites is horse lip breathing. Oh, Ooh, I love that one. You know, people who need, but it just, it, it gives the vibration again, it doesn't work for everybody, but for mm -hmm. me, I hated deep breathing and I would get so anxious and I knew the benefits. And so after trying multiple ways of deep breathing, I was like, oh my goodness, I love that. It feels so good to me. Um, and so I would just encourage anyone listening, caregivers, parents, um, to think about not giving up on just if there's one thing that your child's like, nope, I don't like that. And again, Pose it as like an experiment or, hey, we're going to try these things. They may not all work, but we're going to um, use these as tools. Just like, and, and sometimes I, I tell parents this, and I, I'm sure you do too, Tracy, is sometimes I am in the mood for Chipotle, but other times I'm in the mood for McDonald's or mm -hmm. for um, Wildfire or for a, a fancy restaurant, right? And every single place has different menus, but I still am hungry. And so if we can help our children think through like regulation, we need to take care of ourselves. But sometimes we might be, you know, in a certain mood or in a certain way and this feeding will s suffice. And other times 
we need a different menu. 100%. That's such a good way of saying it. And you sparked something in me. How great would it be for parents to have a visual menu with either words or pictures of the different regulation activities? Mm. And then, you know, the, the child yeah. or teen could just be like, oh, this one. <laughs> this is what I need right now. So I love the idea. That's yeah. an idea yeah. with me to actually have like a visual menu. Um, not too big a one because many yeah, because sometimes when you're right, but but because in, when you're sometimes when you're in the state where you actually need to use the resources, not just a preventative practice, you don't even have the words, and so having a visual of the words or a picture that you can point to, your caregiver can help co-regulate you. These words that we were talking about before by getting that object or thing for you or helping to you starting the breath if you need to breathe, you know, so that they can join in. Right. Um, yes. Okay. I have lots of things going on in my mind because I'm so excited about all this information that we talked about today, but I want to be mindful of time. And I also want to remind our listeners that the topics discussed on this podcast, as always, um, and the resources that are shared should be considered a matter of personal opinion. They do not reflect professional advice. If your child is in need of mental health counseling support, please, please, please search out a licensed counselor in your area or get in touch with one of us. We'll have Tracy's information at the bottom of the show notes for this podcast, as well as mine and Kid Matters Counseling. Um, and we'll try and help you find someone in your area if you don't know where to start. But again, it's really important to realize these are things that we know have been researched, but some of this, you know, that we're talking about is a matter of personal opinion. So just bear that in mind. And with that, Tracy, how can people get in touch with you or find out more about you and your book that has like a billion of these types of resources that parents can try. I think email is the best <laughs> If way. they're that type of person. Yeah. <laughs> I think email is the best way to reach out. It's Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, at Seva, S-E-V is in Victor, A, counseling.com. And the book is called 2468, okay. This is How We Regulate. And then there's a colon and a lot of words after. But if you just look up the 2468, this is how we regulate, you're going to find it. It, it pops up right away. What a great, yeah. And I just want to say what a great resource that you've compiled for parents and caregivers, as well as professionals in the counseling field and in other therapeutic fields um, to really give children a and parents, but for children, right? Um, this, these wonderful examples and ways in which that they can um, get that balance back into their body, that regulation. And it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. And I'm so delighted that you came on and talked to me about this and shared with your, our listeners. Thank you, Tracy, so much for joining us. And I, I I'm just eternally grateful. Let's do it again. <laughs> oh, thank you. We definitely will. Thank you everyone for listening and feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. Awesome. And, and her email and the book link will be in our show notes at the bottom of today's podcast. 
And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you have questions for us that you would like answered, or if you want to see a topic discussed on the podcast, please send it to us um, at our email. It's podcast at kidmatterscounseling.com. And if you found this conversation useful, please subscribe to the podcast and join me next time on the Parent Matters podcast. And of course, remember, don't parent alone.